shortcuts make long delays. Pippin, the Fellowship of the Ring. If everyone helps to hold up the sky, then one person does not become tired. Chai Proverb. It is better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Unknown. This too shall pass. Hakim Sani. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul the Apostle. So we're jumping right into it. We're going to pick up right where Jimmy left off last week. If you haven't checked out Jimmy's teaching, check out Jimmy's teaching, uh, talking about Psalm 51 and the scandal and the craziness that was the story of David and Bathsheba. So just as a quick recap, David, the king of all Israel, is walking on top of his palace when he should have been at war, sees Bathsheba, sends for her, takes her, and then... Uh, ends up imp impregnating her, uh, plots to have her husband assassinated, does that. The prophet finds out about it, calls David out, and we get Psalm 51, this, this beautiful and painful and somewhat ugly lament of King David getting caught in, the, in, the, in sin and admitting that and coming before God in a way of uh, repentance. So David and Bathsheba, that, their story doesn't end after that. They actually end up getting married. The two of them get married and have a number of children. And one of the children that they have is a guy named Solomon. And Solomon, who is the, the son, the child of this uh, crazy, scandalous relationship, ends up growing up to be the next king of Israel. And not just, not just the king, but arguably the best king that Israel, Israel has ever seen, the wisest, the richest, the most powerful king ever. And he started beginning at, uh, with his mom and dad of uh, King David and Bathsheba. So we read about Solomon's uh, controversial transition to power where it didn't come without, he wasn't the firstborn. He wasn't, he was from Bathsheba. So there was already controversy there, but he ends up uh, getting power. And even in that process, it's very controversial. The scripture says that even at that time when he was early on, he was considered uh, wise. Um, David says um, he was a wise uh, ruler. Uh, the scripture also talks about him having a firm grip on his kingdom. So he was well in charge. He had things going on. And then this strange story happens. I don't know that there's another one like it in scripture. If you go to your Bible in uh, 1 Kings... Uh, chapter three, verses five to 15. We're going to read that together. In first Kings you can kind of guess what the subject matter is. It's the Kings. Yeah. First Kings chapter three, starting in verse, uh, in verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. 
So th this is already strange that God would appear and show up in somebody's dream and just almost like a genie, whatever you want, God says, I'll give it to you. And I don't know if this was like a, like a test that God was giving to Solomon, that he, there was only one right answer. If he gave the answer that, that God was looking for, he would say, all right, you got it. Or if he gave the wrong answer, he wouldn't give it. I don't, I don't know. I've never seen this before in scripture that God just shows up and says, whatever you wish, uh, I'll grant to you. And, and Solomon answers in uh, verse, verse six. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and had given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. And verse seven, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry on my duties. He's, he's not a little child at this point. Actually, a few verses before we know that he sent uh, to Pharaoh's daughter in Egypt to marry her. So he's, he's a grown man, but he says, no, I'm just a little child. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Uh, verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to, him, since, said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, uh, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. If King David is known as the king that was after God's own heart, the poet, uh, the musician, kind of a, a right brain type, then, then Solomon would have been the pendulum going the, the other way. Uh, he would be more cerebral. Uh, he was uh, the just or the measured king, the wise ruler. Uh, if you keep reading in 1 Kings chapter 4, we, we learn that he wrote thousands of Proverbs, wrote a thousand songs. And if, if David and the Psalms are more about feelings, then Solomon and the Proverbs would be more about uh, thinking. Uh, it's more of, a, more of a, an intellectual type. And not to say that one is better than the other, but it just shows that there, there are multiple ways and entry points in which God is able to speak to his people. Some people, they're just wired that way where they resonate more with their feelings and connect more in that way. And others, it's, it's no, 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 I'm, I don't care much about feelings. I want to I wanna know, tell me the action steps. I want to know the practical piece on what to do. The Bible uh, in itself actually gives different entry points in the way that we see uh, the genres of scripture. Uh, both Jimmy and Laura talked a little bit about this last week and how the Old Testament, you can kind of break into three sections. The first section, the first 17 books would be considered more of like a, a narrative. Uh, they tell the whole story. So from, so from Genesis and all the way until uh, you get to the wisdom literature, it's all just telling a, a, one story of the people of Israel. And then the last 17 books, 
It's a very different kind of genre. It's more of the prophetic. So this is where you get the people of God, uh, God's mouthpieces, so to speak, speaking directly God's words to God's people. So it's not really telling a story. It's just like, it's just uh, the, the prophets are speaking in uh, God's story. So you have 17, 17, and then it's, it's nestled right in between. You've got these five books, which would be considered the wisdom or poetry uh, literature. It's a new different kind of genre. So it's important to know that what category these books fall into because uh, it, it, it informs the way that you approach the book. Like uh, you wouldn't go to a phone book the same way that you would go to like a, the script of a play. It's very different purpose, right? Very different, very different purpose and very different needs on what you'd be looking for. So the five books that are nestled in the middle, these wisdom literature uh, would be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are the five books. And, and each book is dealing with a, an important piece of life. If you've got God's story and you've got uh, at the beginning, and then you've got God's words, uh, the prophetic words near the, uh, the end of the Old Testament, this prophetic literature is talking about a cross section of the human experience. Like what is it to live? What is it to, to be alive? And Job explores the question, doesn't answer it really, but explores the question of human suffering. And the book of Psalms that we've looked at for the past couple of days, uh, are, are a couple of weeks, are the expression of praise, lament, thanks, and requests to God. The Song of Solomon is celebrating the beauty of romantic love. Solomon as a, as a young man. And Ecclesiastes is kind of the, the, the next end of that. I will be looking at that in the next couple of weeks, uh, reflecting uh, Solomon again, reflecting at the end of his life and that everything is meaningless apart from a life with God. And now at this time, we're going to look a little bit on uh, the book of Proverbs and the Proverbs uh, that we're going to look at is about a practical guide for righteous living in every aspect of life including your money, your work, uh, friendship, relationships, uh, food, even the way that you, you speak. It's interesting that these Proverbs are, are thousands of years old and still somehow um, they don't just hold true, but in, in many ways they are, they are true. And I, I've always loved the book of Proverbs. Um, it's, it's my favorite favorite book of all. And I think part of it before I even was a person who would say, follow Jesus or a Christian. I liked the book of Proverbs because it wasn't overly uh, religious. I would say there wasn't a lot of like theological talk or th so I thought in the book of Proverbs, it was just like straight to the point, very uh, common sense wisdom, how to, how to be, how to be wise. It was a, um, a teacher uh, that shared with me once that there's, there's 31 books or 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, which perfectly aligns with each day of the month. So if you want to be a wise person, just take a proverb a day and you'll be, uh, you'll be well on your way to being someone that's filled with wisdom. So I did that for quite a while. It was such a, a big, big help for me. And just, I love the idea of distilling a, a complex and a profound idea in a couple of lines of simplicity and beauty. It's just, it's just so there's something accessible, accessible about that. Uh, one of my, my earlier, earliest teachers uh, would be a hip hop artist that uh, I haven't listened to for a little while, but uh, it goes by the name of KRS-One. 
KRS-One standing for knowledge reigns supreme over everyone. And he had this line that was just amazing. And he would say, to be really, really intelligent doesn't mean that you take simple things and then make them sound even more complicated. But the sign of true wisdom is to take a really profound and complex idea and distill it down in a way that's so simple that a child could understand it. And I love that idea. And we see that in the, in the, the gift of, of the book of Proverbs. So it's often these, these one or two line, these kinds of pithy, like little things that have a bite to them. So I'm wondering now, even if anybody uh, can remember back when you were young, those sayings, right? Those things that maybe mom used to say all the time of like, I don't know, like uh, the early bird gets the worm or does anybody have any that they want to share? You're dying. You're hearing your mom's voice in your head right now. A stitch in time saves nine. A stitch in time saves nine. So what does that mean? Uh, if you deal with something early before it uh, uh, degenerates or, or becomes uncontrolled, you can nip it in the butt, which is another one. Which is another one. You just explained, <laughs> you just explained a proverb with another proverb. Yeah, Very wise. <laughs> Anybody else? What was it? I... <laughs> Watch pot doesn't boil, like something like that. Yeah, watch pot doesn't boil. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> if you just sit and watch something, like if you just sit and wait, nothing happens. You just sit and wait, nothing happens. Yeah. Proverb is usually something that's catchy, right? It, it almost has a rhyme to it, where it's like, oh, okay, it, it, it makes sense, but, but somehow uh, portraying a profound truth, something that's really important in the way of living a good life. So the book of Proverbs show us uh, general rules of life with order, with patterns, with all kinds of predictability. Uh, it teaches us that generally speaking, if we make wise decisions, our life, your life will be good. A proverb is a wise saying that is generally true. So which is actually true when you think about it. What, uh, a lot of pain that we experience personally is actually the, the consequence of us making poor decisions. Many, for many, many situations, uh, the, the hard, hard uh, things that we have in our life are the consequence of us choosing uh, poorly. But however, we, we do know that there are a number of exceptions. Uh, having these general rules helps us identify those exceptions quite clearly. Um, we know that there are instances that go far beyond our choices where hard things will happen that we had no say in or, or part to play in. Uh, that's where the book of Job comes in. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes helps to answer those questions that are difficult. Uh, it's important to recognize that Proverbs is not a book of promises. Proverbs is not a book of promises. Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse three, you don't have to go there, but it says the Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Has anyone ever met anyone righteous who has gone hungry? Can you imagine of anybody in your life who has done well, who have made right decisions, but is experiencing poverty? Or anybody uh, who's wicked, 
and gets their belly filled. It's true. It's generally true that if you live a righteous way, you will be good, but not always. There are exceptions. Uh, the other one, maybe you've heard this one many times, Proverbs 22, six, that says, raise your children in the ways that they should go. And when they were old, they will not depart from it. You've heard that one before of, I think of the praying grandmas that are looking for their, their wayward son or their daughter that's, that's walked away from the Lord and maybe never comes back. We know that those, those things happen. But we can say that these, these proverbs are not promises, but in a larger sense, they are generally true. And if we follow them, we're better off than if we, if we don't. And even though these writings are thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years in the past, they're somehow still true. And they're somehow, somehow still relevant even now. Um, these writings just don't hold on, but these, these words, they hold true. So even though uh, the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters, it's filled with all kinds of these, uh, these witty sayings and these lines that takes up the middle chunk of the, of the book, uh, chapters 10 to 29. Um, the first nine chapters are a list of speeches about nine, uh, nine or 10 speeches that are directly from a father to his son. And the last two chapters are a little bit different. Jenny is going to be coming next week and she's going to share a little bit about that infamous uh, passage, uh, Proverbs 31. She'll be going a little bit deeper into that one. But let's read um, that first intro, uh, Proverbs chapter one, verses one to six. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser, and let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring that meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their wills. There's, there's more to, to wisdom as described here in Proverbs than just being smart or being clever. To be wise, including, according to the Hebrew language, is, is to be skilled. The word is chukmah in Hebrew. And it means to, to be skilled, like uh, it'd be the same way to describe a craftsman, somebody who's good at their, their, uh, their work. It's not just knowing things. It's not just having knowledge, but to have wisdom is taking that knowledge and putting it into practice. It's tangible. It's, it, it's, it's knowledge in action. When I, when I turned 16, a couple days after I turned 16, I went to go get my driver's license and Back then for us in Ontario, uh, we didn't have, at that time we didn't have like graduated licensing or anything that we had a thing called a 365, which is a learner's permit that you get. You fill out a bunch of multiple choice questions. And then when you're done, they give you a piece of paper that says you can drive with somebody who's had their license longer than you. You can't drive at night. They have all these restrictions, but you can, after filling out that uh, passing or getting a 70% or whatever on that, that learner's permit, they would allow you to get behind the wheel of a car and drive. So I, I took my test 
and I, I came, I think one question within uh, failing. So I was like maybe like 75 or something percent. And they gave me my certificate and I thought right away, there's no way that I should be behind a car right now knowing what I know. And I did. And that, so after that, so you have to, so you have like a, about a year before just getting practice in before you take your real test where you can actually prove your skill, prove that you don't just know the thing, but now you can actually do it. So uh, I failed my first one. I won't tell you exactly, maybe I'll tell you after how I failed. It was uh, <laughs> quite embarrassing. But my first tryout, I, I failed, which, which said I had, I had knowledge of a thing. I could describe and say on a piece of paper, you do this, you do that, you do this. But when it came time to actually living that out, I didn't have the wisdom that was required. I had knowledge. I had a, a level of understanding, but I lacked wisdom. Knowledge plus application equals wisdom. Knowledge alone is not wisdom. It's very, very similar to the idea of faith that's described later by James in the New Testament. That belief and faith don't mean the same thing. That belief plus action, plus living it out, plus, plus you applying it is where faith comes in. And the wisdom of Proverbs is talking about to have skill in living to live well. It's the ability to make really good choices, to make godly and righteous choices. And I, I'm not talking about like inconsequential choices, like what kind of toothpaste am I going to buy or whatever, but, but the choices that actually make you a better human being, someone that's able to, to choose well, to be a, a good neighbor, to be actually the kind of, you're the best neighbor in the way that you choose, in the way that you're living. If we go back to the beginning of Proverbs, there's um, chapter one, verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of all wisdom. So what does that mean? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I'll tell you, tell you what it doesn't mean. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean that if you cower in a corner waiting for the judgmental God to smush you with his thumb the moment you make a mistake. So you need to be fearful of him so you don't get in trouble. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the kind of fear that we're talking. But instead, a fear that shows a reverence or a respect or a degree of humility means that you have a healthy kind of respect. It may just be possible that when we go before a God who's created all of the universe and everything in it, that we might not have everything completely figured out. We may be missing a few blocks. So, so to hold ourselves in a, in a level of humility, hold ourselves accordingly. So to come to the fear of the God is actually a healthy respect, a healthy kind of um, uh, reverence. Proverbs warns against this idea of having a false sense of, of wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12 says, there's more hope for fools than the people who think they are wise. So to fear the Lord, there needs to be a very strong sense of humility. 
Solomon uh, demonstrates this right off the bat. We read that earlier when, when God asks him, what do you want? And he, he describes himself, well, I'm, I'm just a little child in all of this. I don't know, you know best. So I wanna be able to have the discernment to know, you know between good and, and evil. And God's pleased with that. God, God actually celebrates that question. He says, oh, I'm glad. Like that's, that's a good thing. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for death on your enemies. You asked for wisdom. You asked for be, the be ability to discern between good and evil. But it's interesting when we go back in time, if we, if we rewind the story all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam and Eve were trying to answer that same question on the difference between good and evil. So I'm, 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 I'm going to put it out. We'll see what, what you guys think. What, what would the difference be? Why would God, why would God seem to be upset with Adam and Eve uh, for wanting to know good and evil and then not, f- not for Solomon instead being praised? What do you think? I think Adam and Eve were um, being selfish and <clears throat> prideful in it. Um, where Solomon was, um, like you're saying, reverent, respectful. Um, yeah, Adam and Eve were trying to get, and that's why they hid when God came forward and said, where are you? Um, there was a shame that came along with it, where um, with Solomon, it was just straight there. I'm, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm humble, and I know you know more. Help me. Yeah. yeah, Adam and Eve didn't fear God in a healthy way before. So ended up fearing him in an unhealthy way after, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, there's a, a level of humility that's there. And if we go, go back to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, Adam and Eve, as we know them, they were innocent. They were, let's say, born not knowing. Um, so they actually did not recognize the fear, which is the posture of them not knowing. Like you said, Solomon knew that he was a child. And so he knew that his role needed higher wisdom than what he actually was acquainted to. And that's why he asked in a posture of fear, not a fear of fear of understanding that he knows less than the one he's asking for him to give him more knowledge. Hmm. And he humbled himself in a way and he says, look, these are your people. Give me something because they are your people. He didn't want to take for himself what he wanted for himself. He recognized in his innocence as the king to be able to aspire to the knowledge that he needed to rule. And it wasn't his knowledge that he was acquiring. He was the knowledge of God. As for Adam and Eve, they just basically took for themselves. Yeah, exactly. As right. opposed to you know, apply their humility or their fear to know that they did not know enough instead of listening to the temptation, they should have went back to God, say, listen, what he's saying is it true. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so that's how I see it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say they're also from two different positions. Like Adam and Eve, they had perfection. There was no need to access something. Whereas from his position, this is like we've fallen so much. Now I need to discern. So it's just, yeah, maybe two different. Solomon positions. had a reason to be humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know whose dad is? <laughs> you know who his dad is? Solomon's dad. He had a reason. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. When we continue in the passage, it's interesting. Um, those next number of chapters in Proverbs, we see uh, these characters come through. 
uh, four characters primarily. You have uh, two men and uh, two women, one wise, one foolish. We have the, 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 this, um, the woman of folly, and then you have Lady Wisdom. But the main character of those four, I would say the one that's highest is, the, is Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom has got it together. And you see, there's almost like a battle between those last, that last chapter. Uh, Lady, the folly is calling out, anybody who wants to come, I've got something for you. And, and calling anybody who will walk by uh, to come to her place. And while Lady Wisdom at the same time is calling in a way, like I'm having a banquet and come sit, feast, even the simple. I love that. There's a piece in there that says, even the simple come. This isn't about having a a high level of intellect. This is about putting wise living into practice. And what's interesting is that we find in the book of James, uh, a thousand years later. So many would, would describe James as the, uh, the book of James, as the, uh, the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. That was, that was the next book I went to after Proverbs. I went to, uh, to James to read. And because again, it's just a, a book of such good, deep and practical wisdom. James tells us that, but the, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace, peace loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. <clears throat> James says in another place, James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So uh, maybe this becomes your uh, next reading plan. Uh, if you're looking for a reading plan of what to tackle next in the Bible, or if the Bible is something that's so uh, uh, maybe intimidating to you and you've never picked it up before, this could be maybe your first reading plan of uh, a chapter of wisdom for every day of the month to get uh, a way, a clear understanding of righteous living, of good living. Let's pray. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. But let us seek God's will in all we do and he will direct our paths. In your name, amen.